Amen. Praise God. Thanks, guys. Great job. And uh, good to have you here with us this morning. Welcome, as uh, Kath just said, particularly uh, this morning to the exciting morning because it's always exciting when we see people follow the Lord through the waters of baptism. And there's going to be uh, seven or so people here this morning and approximately the same down at Collingwood Park. And we're going to have a baptismal service at our location at Collingwood Park as well. So isn't that exciting, eh, to see all those people getting baptized this morning? Give the Lord a hand for that. That's just brilliant. I don't know whether you've ever felt like giving up. Uh, I don't know how many of you in this room have ever got to a point where you've honestly thought to yourself, I'm not sure I can go on. I've had enough. Uh, if you've ever been there, all right, and if you haven't been there, I suggest that uh, that experience isn't too far down the track because I think we all go through that experience. Uh, I, I want you to listen to the author of Hebrews, as we continue our track through the book of Hebrews, uh, under the banner or under the theme that Jesus is better. It says this in chapter 3 and verse 12 of the book of Hebrews. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There are a couple of truths tied up in that verse that I think are really important. The first one I want to suggest to you is that a soft heart protects you against deception. A soft heart protects you against deception. And secondly, a hard heart leads you to self-justification. A hard heart leads you to self-justification. And self-justification is one step from self-deception. I don't know if you knew that. Self-justification is one step from self-deception. But isn't there something about life that just makes you hard? It gives you a hardened heart, right? When you get hurt, what do you decide to do? I'm not going to get hurt like that again. I'm going to harden up. You, you lose or you, 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 you lose your joy. You, you, uh, uh, someone does the wrong thing towards you. You start making false conclusions that will inevitably undermine your future because of a heart and a heart that is the result and somewhat an understandable result, to be honest, of getting hurt. That's why the Bible talks here about the importance of encouragement now he's referring back and again if you were here last week you'll remember I said many times that when you read the book of Hebrews you've got to read it through the lens particularly the book of Genesis but the first five books of the Bible because Hebrews had memorized those first five books and it was written to a bunch of Hebrews so if you really want to understand it you've got to really couch it in those terms and this is referring to that time when the children of Israel had left Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land. And they were in the desert. They were in the wilderness. And the wilderness was a funny place because the wilderness was a place where you, where you could survive, but you couldn't really settle there. The wilderness was a place where your livestock really couldn't find enough support and the people got thirsty. God didn't seem to be doing what he ought to be doing uh, why don't you do something with these people, God? Why, why don't you give us water? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? 
And to be honest with you, God seemed to be letting them down. They got a bit cranky. They got cranky with God. They got cranky with their leaders. And that's when this, this idea of the hardened heart that um, the author mentioned a moment ago was coming into play. And I want to suggest to you that the wilderness is this life. It's a metaphor for now. You know, when you um, come out of, uh, of captivity to sin, if you will, out of Egypt, you normally do so with great signs and wonders. You can see God's incredible hand. But it doesn't seem to matter what this world offers you. Family. Family's wonderful. Family's great. Work. It's important to work. It's important to have a focus and, and, and achieve some things. Money. Money's important. Let's be honest. You need money to survive. Friendship. Friendship is very important. But none of these things can truly, deeply satisfy at a, uh, at a sustaining point over the long season of life. Everything that you see in this world, no matter how beautiful, no matter how desirous it might seem to be, is all fading. It's losing its beauty. It's losing its power. Every strong body is slowly breaking down. And if you're not careful, it's actually not difficult to conclude what these Israelites concluded in the wilderness, and that is, is God asleep? Is God watching us from a distance? Does God really care? Why isn't God doing something? Why is life so unfair? Why don't things seem to be going the way I had hoped? And the truth is, the world, in its best sense, will ultimately leave you disappointed. And the natural inclination, and it might take you some years. You might be here today, and you might be under 30. You might have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> For you, life is, you know, rainbows and unicorns. God bless you. Hang there as long as you can. <laughs> But for those in the room over 50, man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and life can't help but make you cynical. Life can't help but make you bitter and lacking in trust towards people. Unless you lean in to what the author is saying here. This is inevitable. This is going to happen unless you receive encouragement. Did you hear what he said? He said, you've got to get encouragement. Now, many of you in this room arguably think to yourself, no, I, I don't need encouragement. I, 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 I'm tough. I'm strong. i got what it takes. Yeah, and you probably do. You're probably smart. You're probably capable. I'm not talking about your ability. I'm talking about your heart. And I want to tell you something about your heart. If you're not getting encouragement, your heart is growing hard. That word encouragement that the author uses there, we could also translate into the word counseling. Without counseling, you're going to get a hard heart. So I'm going to answer three questions quickly this morning, but really important questions. Number one, what kind of counseling do I need? Yes, that's right, you need counseling. <laughs> if you don't get counseling, you're going to get a hard heart. And remember, 
The definition of a hard heart is a self-justifying heart. So if you're saying right now, well, I don't need that, that's self-justifying. Because of this, you you are justifying yourself. And self-justification is one step away from self-deception. The pathway of self-deception is self-justification. What kind of counseling do I need? Um, Who's going to give it to me? And how do I get it? What kind of counseling do I need? Who's going to give it to me? And how do I get it? The verses preceding the ones that I've just read, um, God says this. He says, this is why I was angry with that generation. (laughs) Their hearts were always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared in an oath, in my anger, you shouldn't make oaths in your anger, God, should you? But that's what he said. In, In my anger, I made this oath, they will not enter my rest. This seems rather harsh, doesn't it? This seems very, very kind of judgmental, judgmental God there. <laughs> um, and yet we read in the next chapter, and I'm going to put this up on the screen in chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we have yet, he's without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a tender invitation. Is that you've got someone who identifies with you exactly with your experience and who wants you to come in close for a hug. And yet you juxtaposition that concept against that verse from the last chapter where it says God in his anger said you ain't coming to where I am how do you work with that well where is this leading us to let me take you to another place and then I'm going to draw a conclusion for you let me take you to the tomb of Lazarus Lazarus is dead he's got two sisters Mary and Martha and they're both lamenting the death of their brother like anybody in this room would lament the death of a sibling. They are brokenhearted, rightly so. And Jesus, who delayed his going to help with them and mourn or whatever, finally turns up. And Jesus says to Mary something completely opposite that he says to Martha. Both Mary and Martha come to Jesus separately and say this. Jesus, if you'd gotten here earlier, he wouldn't have died. To which he responds to Martha with, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. In other words, Martha, don't complain to me. Do you know who I am? I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary comes to him, says, Jesus, if only he'd been here, he wouldn't have died. The Bible says, the shortest verse in all the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Talk about schizophrenia. (laughs) I mean, right? To Mary, he weeps. To Martha, he goes, poof. (laughs) Like, why are you whinging, woman? I'm the resurrection and the life. To Mary, he cries. Same situation, same question, different response. 
you'll juxtaposition those two things beside one another, it would cause you to scratch your head, wouldn't it? In the same way, those verses I just read from Hebrews. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Ranch into question, what kind of counselling do I need? And I'll tell you what kind of counselling you need. You need somebody who's equally committed to tears. They are truth. Right? Somebody who's equally as committed to weeping with you as they are to telling you the truth. You have to have both. You cannot have one and be healthy without the other. That's what we see in Jesus Christ. We see the ministry of truth, but we also see the ministry of tears. Who in this room has a teenager? How many know you don't get through the teenage years in your house without the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears, right? <laughs> Sometimes you've just got to listen, not give advice. And other times, you're going to say, whoa, 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 hang on a minute here. That's not the way it is. This is the way it is. See, most of you in this room, most of us in this room, um, either have a more of a feeler or you're a fixer. You, know? you tend to lean one way or the other. You might, you know, if, if you're a fixer, it's kind of like, tell me your problem, I'll write you a prescription, go off and do this and you'll be better. <laughs> And if you don't, not my fault. <laughs> That's the fixer. Right? I can fix just about anything. You give me the, you give me the problem, I'll, I'll figure it out and give it back. And then you've got others who are fearless. You know, you tell me your problem and I'll weep with you. And I'll hold your hand. I probably won't tell you much because I'm not game or I don't know what to say. But I'll be there for you. And what we have in Jesus Christ is both. Because we need both the wonderful counselor, the supernatural heart changer. See, what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that Jesus is a better counselor. Jesus is a better encourager. He's the one who brings the ministry of tears and the ministry of truth together. Jesus is the one. It says, in the, uh, as we continue to read in chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, for we do have a high priest, you see, who, uh, for, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus has experienced everything that you have experienced. He understands misunderstanding. He understands pain. He understands suffering. He understands disappointment. How many know that our experience is relative? I've been in third world countries, and I've seen little kids have a ball, right? Give them a ball, and all of a sudden, they think all their dreams have come true. They couldn't be happier. They have a ball, it's like, oh, this is all I ever wanted in life, and they're happy. But you see somebody who has lived a sophisticated, you know, they've lived up here, and it's all been taken from them, and they're living in a bit of a dungeon now, and of course that person is, is pretty sad, because your experience uh, is, is relative. It, it depends on where you've come from and what you're currently going through. 
Well, if that's true, and I suggest this, imagine, imagine Jesus. Imagine what he, he left. We can't imagine what it would have been like for Christ, who lived in heaven, to come to this earth and to die the death that he died, to go through the misunderstanding, to go through the, the suffering that he went through. Yet he did that. We, we, we can't start to comprehend the pain and the agony that Jesus experienced. And the only reason I say that is because I know there are people in this room who've experienced pain and agony. And what I'm saying to you is that Jesus can identify with you. He's been through that same experience, only probably worse. Yet it says he was without sin. And the very thing that stops me from empathizing with you, the very thing that stops me from getting down onto your level and, and, and listening and embracing and imbibing your, your, your pain is my selfishness and my sin. You tell me your problems and I'm just thinking, well, that you think you got problems. Man, you ought to know my problems. And, and, and it's, it's my selfishness and my sin that kind of stops me from really identifying with you. But Jesus had none of that. He has no sin, so he can perfectly walk in your shoes and he can perfectly identify with you. We see the tenderness of Jesus all the way through the gospel narratives, all the way through the, the life experience of Jesus. Perhaps one of the most poignant in the context of even what we're talking about now is the woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery who's brought before Jesus, and he says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say to her, go and sin no more, and I won't condemn you. In other words, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, my acceptance of you is based upon your behavior. Right? Don't sin no, sin no more, and then I will accept you. I will accept you based upon your... He doesn't say that. He says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. What he's saying is, base your behavior on my acceptance. That, they are, that's, that's a completely... That's a huge, huge chasm between those two ideas. He says, I love you unconditionally. Let that wash over your heart and affect the direction of your life. Jesus shows complete hatred of sin, but complete acceptance of the sinner. We have a high priest. In Hebrews 5, 6, it says this. Uh, it says, he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now again, you've got to read this through the prism of Genesis. Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis 14, uh, verse 18. Uh, and Melchizedek appears to Abram and, and he's called the, um, the priest of the Most High and the king of Salem. And you don't have a king and a priest. You don't have a king and a priest who's the same person. The king and the priest are different people because they have different, um, they have different responsibilities to perform. The king brings the law. Right? The king represents God to the people. This is the law. This is the way we're going. This is what you all need to do. He's the king. The priest, on the other hand, the priest represents the people to God. He says, bring, bring your sacrifices in, I'll offer them up, and I'll, I'll make a way for you to get to God. The priest is the caregiver of the people. And these two ideas cannot be brought together. They're brought together in this rather curious uh, 
character Melchizedek, who some scholars believe was actually a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. I'm not going to get off on that, but uh, he is a curious figure in terms of the Old Testament. He is a king and he is a priest. And those two officers have completely different functions. One is to bring the truth and one is to bring the tears. One is to identify and to come alongside and the other is to direct and the other is to inform. And yet they came together in Jesus Christ. He was a king forever in the order of Melchizedek. Infinite love honoring infinite justice and truth. You see, we have a high priest We have a counsellor who is completely committed to truth, but completely committed to you. Can you believe that? Somebody who is more committed to you than you, but more committed to truth than anybody whom you know. You see... If he was just the Lord of truth, then he probably would have had you die on your own cross. He he wouldn't have come in our behalf. He would have had people pay for their own sins, as it were, and if he was just the Lord of tears, then maybe he would have just said, hey, forget about it. You know, don't worry about justice. Don't worry about trying to set things right. I'll just forget about it. He says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He is the perfect representation of truth and tears. In saying that to that woman, what he was saying was this, you don't have to be condemned because I'm going to be condemned. I don't condemn you because I'm taking your condemnation. You are guilty and I'm taking it on myself at infinite cost to myself. We need counseling of truth and tears and we get it from Jesus Christ. So, how do, we, how do we receive it? How do we move into it? We know what we need. We know from whence it came, comes. So the question that's left to be asked is how do we move into it? When you think of uh, counseling, many people would obviously think of professional help, be a counselor, professional counselor. And, not that that's a, a bad idea. In fact, it's, it's a good idea many, many times. Um, there are a lot of people who are just simply too proud to go and get help professionally, and, and everybody needs help professionally from time to time. And then, of course, you have some people who become what you might def, um, define as too reliant on their, uh, on their therapist, and th- they never really move on. They never really uh, grow out of that. But uh, all of us need counselling from Jesus. All of us need the ministry of truth and tears. All of us need that. Um, and, and so how do we move into that? How do we receive that? Well, number one, we need to be saved. Um, not, and by saved, I, I, don't, I just don't mean believe in Jesus. Uh, Satan believes in Jesus, but he's not saved. A lot of people believe in Jesus. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is allowing Jesus to access every, every area of your heart, What I'm talking about is allowing the ministry of truth into those areas of your heart that you've put big walls around to protect yourself. That's what I mean by being saved. 
Because we all, it's the natural inclination. It's just what we do when we get hurt. We say, well, that's not going to get hurt again, so I put up a wall. And when you put up a wall, the walls cast shadows and light can't get there. What I mean by being saved is accessing the ministry of truth to every area of your heart. You see, when we think about what he has done for us, what that does, it starts to shrink the tumor of pride. We're coming up to Easter, and as I've been you know, saying the whole way through, Jesus is better as we come up to the better resurrection of, uh, of Jesus Christ in just a couple of weeks' time. But when we think about what he did for us, and we think about the cost that he paid on our behalf, it can't help but start to shrink that tumor of pride in our lives. And when that pride starts to shrink, we, 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 we're able to start to put poke holes in the walls and, and let Jesus into those areas of pain, to let him into those areas of hurt. See, religion says, sin no more and maybe I won't condemn you. The gospel says, I don't condemn you. You don't have to sin now any because Jesus set you free. We need to be saved. We need to know Jesus Christ in every echelon and every aspect of our heart, number one. Number two, I want to suggest Hebrews um, 3.13 said, but let us encourage one another. And I want to suggest that there's a sense in which uh, I am Jesus to you and you are Jesus to me. We need exhortation and encouragement that the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears from little Jesuses. So if you're here today and you've let Jesus into your heart, the reason you've done that is that you might become that manifestation of Jesus. You might be that, if you will, little Jesus here on the earth. And you have a job as a little Jesus. And that's to bring the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. Now, most of us tend to be more one way or the other and that's probably you know just the the uh just due to the the personality and the the uh the the vagrancies of of humanity but we need to allow him if you're a a fixer you need to allow him to just break your heart a little bit you know if you're a feeler you need to allow him just to come and, and build things into your life so that you can speak truth to people uh, the truth is, if you're not a if you're not a feeler, if you're just a fixer, people you know they tend to they tend to cut off from you a little bit because no one really cares how much you know till they know how much you care, and so the, the, both those things must must function and they must uh, operate together. Uh, if you're a feeler, you might be a bit more of a a, a people pleaser, maybe. Uh, a bit, if you're a, a fixer, then maybe you you might just be a bit, a bit uh, hard towards folks. But you've got to work on both. Both have got to be there in our life so that we can be that. And I believe that's what the gospel does for us. I believe the more we look at Jesus, the more he melts our heart and he forms our inner person so that we can be the fixers and the feelers. We can bring those two things together and we can be that for one another. Sure, we get it as we bring Christ into our heart. There's no doubt of that. But then there is that obligation. Then there is that calling to be a, a fixer and a feeler, an encourager, a counselor for one another. So we get it. Number one, we get it from Jesus. Number two, we get it from 
Zacchaeus people. We get it from little Jesuses. We get it from Christians. We get it from those who follow him. And, and, and number three, I want to suggest that we get it over time. We get it over time. And, and let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on the earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, it says. That's interesting. This has been a real point of contention um, amongst people who study this kind of stuff. Because you could argue he wasn't heard. It says, then he was heard because of his reverent submission. But, But when did he cry out in tears? We're coming to the time in history when we remember that. We remember the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried out in tears that, that, that some say ruptured the capillaries uh, within his, his, his forehead and he sweat um, drops of blood. That thus was the, was the internal anguish of the moment. He cried out with tears, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And what happened? He drank the cup. <laughs> God didn't take the cup from him, right? He went to the cross. And yet, and yet the author of Hebrews says, he was hurt. How can that be? It's as if he wasn't hurt, right? It's as if he's in the garden saying, God, God, I don't want to have to go through with this. God, it's too painful. God, it's too great. And it's like God says, oh, well, it's my will. Sorry, you're going through. <laughs> yet he was hurt, this particular scripture says. I want to suggest to you that he was in a time that you're in, that I'm in, the wilderness. And when the children of Israel cried out in the wilderness, many times it was as if God wasn't there. But he was there. And Jesus was heard. And his prayers were answered. What you need to understand and what's profoundly important right in this moment, right in this moment in your life, right now, is that your prayers were heard, were heard, but they were not answered as you expected. The response from God was much bigger than he could imagine. So the answer to his prayer was not as he expected. It was so great that he could not have even imagined. Yes, he was delivered from the cup of death. He conquered hell and death. He became the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. In other words, his resurrection from the dead assures that everybody who dies will raise from the dead. It was so much bigger than he could imagine in that prayer. His prayer was answered but not as he had expected because it was greater than he could imagine. And can I suggest to you this morning that there are people in this room, you've been praying prayers, and you're thinking, what's the point? God's not answering my prayer. God, why aren't you answering my prayer? And I want to say to you that you need encouragement, and encouragement comes over time. Encouragement, sure, when prayers are answered, it's encouraging, isn't it? When you pray and you see God come through, it's encouraging, let's be honest. 
And, and what, what we see here is that that encouragement comes because you take an eternal view on what you pray. God doesn't necessarily answer your prayers in accordance with your expectation because God's vision for your life is far greater and far more influential than you could ever imagine. We need to lift our hearts. You see, God's not going to waste your experience. God's not going to waste what you've been through. The experience of Christ on the cross was not wasted. It was used for the redemption of mankind. May I suggest to you this morning that your experience will not be wasted. The valleys and the turmoil that you've been through will not be cast aside. But your experience will be leveraged. Your experience will be used for the eternal salvation of others. And that God will answer your prayers whilst you're in the wilderness. God is listening. But sometimes our minds, because we're in the wilderness, are on survival. Sometimes our minds are down here on, how do I get through the day? How, how do I get through this next challenge? God is playing a much bigger game than you could ever imagine. We just see things in the natural and we, we, we make conclusions based on our interpretation of what we're looking at right now. But God's seeing something so much larger and so much longer than you. The Bible talks about the heroes of faith who, who, who saw things but they never experienced because they saw things that were in the heart of God that had eternal implications. Last week, we, we looked at, at Rachel and Leah. Rachel, who was beautiful, and Leah, who was ugly. And in the context of the culture of the time, and may I suggest in the context of the culture of the day, one would have 100,000 followers on Instagram and the other would have 10. One would be seen up here because she was beautiful and gorgeous and one down here. But one became the lineage of Jesus Christ who changed civilization and saved the world. So don't judge yourself based upon what you see in the moment. God has a bigger plan. What kind of counseling do I need? What kind of encouragement will stop my heart from this natural process towards cynicism and hardness? We're all on that journey, folks. Some of us are closer to it than others. Because this is where we're all going to go. This is where life pushes you. You have, you have no choice. Without encouragement. Without the counseling of truth and tears. Christ from others and what we recognize over. So can I encourage you this morning? To encourage Somebody, understand that your job as a little Jesus, not to be a little Hitler, <laughs> and walk around, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about somebody who dictates and controls and commands. And, no, 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 somebody who feels, but who expresses that love in such a way 
they have to bring the truth. And they have to bring the way, bring the light. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 